1: Shachtum, an Indo Askeliger.
0: Time a mon the end of Chacht er a corp, Agasuligum a Makansha, Gurfeger e a hoir, a nuik cart, len of winter thing. Schilti, vis, turme.
1: Toshi, dochretchet, nach vetach, ara, igornemjon, unchest si in the echo. Vientalem a or corn yeah, to get to the end of the day. I'm going to get to the end of the day and the end of the day. I'm going to Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.
0: You know, a town with money is a little like the mule with a spinning wheel. No one knows how he got it and dang if he knows how to use it.
1: <laughs> Today on the Indo-Daily... There was the Bertie Bowl, Las Vegas Tipperary style, cable cars along the Liffey, and even Chinatown in Atlone. We're never short of big ideas in this country.
0: Some of these projects were completely off the wall. We're talking hundreds of millions of euro, even hundreds of billions of euro, and very little public support.
1: I'm Kevin Doyle, and today on the Indo Daily, as Dublin pulls the plug on its whitewater rafting plan, we look back at other crazy ideas that never took off. Hugh O'Connell, political correspondent with the Irish and Sunday Independent. A whitewater rafting facility for Dublin. It sounded kind of cool, but it was never going to take off, was it?
0: Well, no, there was a lot of public opposition to it from the very start, uh, notwithstanding the fact that it was approved by Dublin City Council in, in 2019, the plans to build a, a water white rafting course in the city centre down on, on George's dock. Um, it was the the brainchild, I suppose, of the, the chief executive of Dublin City Council, Owen Keegan. Um, but, uh, despite um, the, getting the support of councillors, um, primarily because there was also a proposal to build in uh, a, a facility for Dublin Fire Brigade for training uh, purposes. Um, it ran into a lot of public opposition, particularly at a time when they, they were proposing to spend €20 million Euro on this project, um, but there's a massive housing crisis in the capital, there's a massive homelessness crisis in the capital, would the money not be better spent on that, for example? So the, the plan was, was abandoned in recent days. We where
1: we're sitting now is probably three four hundred metres away from mm. where they were going to build this inside the IFSC. It was something that was never imagined back in Charlie High's wildest <laughs> dreams uh, that that particular part of Dublin would have. But there is a, a pretty much a black hole there in the centre. Yep. Of uh, what people will know as where there's often some Christmas markets, or yes. they, they have um, Oktoberfest, German, German beer festivals. German beer festivals. Uh, I've been to one
0: myself, <laughs> um,
1: and, and all the rest of it. So it's a spot that is rarely used, but does have good uses, uses when it is. And like, what was the idea behind the white water rafting one, you?
0: So the, the development itself would have consisted of the whitewater rafting course, uh, a swift w- water rescue training facility with an urban street scene for use by emergency services. So this is the facility kind of for Dublin Fire Brigade, which is why it got a lot of support on the council at the time, including councillors from uh, Sinn Féin, Fine Gael, Fine Fall, not all of them, but, but, but some of them. Uh, it would also have facilities for kayaking and canoeing, as well as a swimming pool and a polo pool. Uh, in, a, in a site that's currently derelict uh, and is occasionally used, as we talked about, for, for German beer festivals, Oktoberfest, and for other uh, Christmas markets and stuff like this, but but is, is, for the vast majority of the year, a derelict facility. So that was the idea, permanent uh, facility within this prime piece of real estate in the capital, uh, an amenity for the community, an amenity for the people of Dublin, but not something that had huge support at a time when, as, as I said, there was a, you know, a housing crisis, there's lots of other... Uh, important projects that it could be uh, the 20 million could be spent on. Nonetheless, two million euro uh, or thereabouts was spent in in the, uh, in the in the planning of this this facility, which has now been abandoned. On the officials
1: of took trips to the UK and to America to look right, yeah. at various projects like this. And it sounds wild, Hugh, but and we're going to talk about some projects that never got off the ground over the, the the course of this podcast. But in this particular instance, a majority of councillors mm-hmm. at one point were backing
0: the whitewater Rafting Course. Yes, not notwithstanding the fact there was criticism. I think at the time from the t- from the Taoiseach of the Daily of Radker, who who was quite critical of the council doing this at a time when there's a housing crisis and when there's so many other things that the council could be spending this money on. And indeed, the, the, the negative commentary around related to the project, um, that appears impossible to reverse, as Owen Keegan said recently, has undermined the planned funding of the project. Therefore, it has been abandoned. It, it's really the fact that I suppose that, notwithstanding the fact it got political support. At the time, uh, as soon as the public backlash began, as soon as some politicians, some very senior politicians, including Leo Radker, uh, expressed uh, criticism of this project, uh, it set it on, on course for, for failure.
1: Of course, Owen Keegan, the uh, somewhat colourful chief executive of the City Council, is the man who is taking a lot of the flack for this now. Here's what he told the Second Captain's podcast about why he believed this was a good idea. We believe there's there's significant local interest in this. The opposition, you know, there's there's a lot of, obviously, I have to say, uh, a lot of, uh, let me look, there's been a lot of criticism of this project, there's no doubt, and, and people are entitled to their view. We we still think, I mean, one reason is that the, the local elected members were very supportive of this project and have been supportive of this project. They want investment in in the Docklands. Is it fair, Hugh, that the politicians are now blaming Owen Keegan for this this wild idea that that was going to cost tens of millions
0: well i think an unelected uh, official is always an easy scapegoat for the politicians uh, not you know at a time when uh, that you know this is This project had come under enormous amount of of criticism, significant hostility from everyone to the project. Owen Keegan was very much the public face of this project. Um, So it's easy, I suppose, for the politicians, even those who voted for it, to turn around and say, well, it's his fault.
1: Well, one politician who can never escape a it-was-his-fault scenario for a big project that was pie in the sky is Bertie Ahern and the infamous Bertie Bowl. Officially it was called Stadium Ireland but it will forever be known as the Bertie Bowl Hugh.
0: yeah this was a, a project long, long in the making uh, but, but never actually delivered uh, he wanted to build a national sports stadium in Abbottstown in County Dublin that would cater for soccer Uh, which he's a big fan of he's a Manchester United fan Uh, rugby uh, not sure he's a massive fan of rugby but nonetheless it's a very popular sport within Ireland and of course Gaelic football he's a massive Dublin GA fan as well Um, the project was commonly referred to as the Bertie Bowl because it was his idea really and because it was something that he championed it would have been a range of sports facilities the the, uh, 80,000 all-seater stadium that would replace Lansdowne Road Uh, But there would also be a 15,000 seat indoor arena, several sports halls, tennis courts and an aquatic centre with a 50 metre swimming pool. And that was something at the time that Ireland didn't have, a 50 metre swimming pool. And remember, this is at a time when Ireland was, was doing pretty well in the pool. Michelle Smith at the 96 Olympics, all of that. Um, and there was a, a huge interest in swimming, but this, the stage didn't have a fifty-meter swimming pool. And here was Bertie riding to the rescue with a swimming pool, but also with all of these great, fantastic facilities. Uh, and Lansdowne Road was was creaking, uh, and this was seen as as the future.
1: Bertie came under a lot of criticism for it because of the scale of it. It was seen as something of a, a vanity project mm. from his point of view. Here's how he recalled in a clip uh, from the Sconnell programme in RTE that particular period in time. The term Bertie Ball is still used every now and again. Was that and a term? I've forgotten the name. I know, but, but was that a term sort of, you know, back then? What did you feel about the, the use of that term? Well, it, it, f- funny enough, in the 2002 election, you know, you'd meet... Uh, particularly young people, and they'd come up and say to you, I know nothing about politics, but we vote for you because of the party ball." <laughs> and it was kind of funny. I remember me in a talk at a match, trying to keep my head down, and you know, young fellas coming up saying, you know, how do I register to vote? on want to vote for you. <laughs> so yeah, it, was, it was funny. And then you go outside and you meet someone of, of an older generation and say, oh, how about the matter at Bowman Hospital? So, you know, they, 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 these were the arts. But I didn't like it for this reason, because what I wanted to do was to build a stadium for the country. I think it's quite funny, Hugh, he says there that this was a national stadium. It wasn't about Bertie. He want, He just wanted a stadium for the country. Of course, we ended up renovating Lansdowne Road after that. It became the Aviva. And we've been doing all right without the Bertie Bowl, it's fair to say.
0: Yeah, that's fair to say. Don't forget as well, there was massive government investment in Croke Park as well, turning that into a world-class uh, stadium with 80,000 seats. Um, and, uh, you know, I think... It, Obviously, with the Aviva Stadium being redeveloped as well, there are two world-class stadiums in the capital. So, as while that ha- as that happened, it meant that the, the need for the Bertie Bowl and necessity for the Bertie Bowl became less and less. And don't forget as well, putting it out in Abbottstown, it's an awful long way away from a lot of people who live in Dublin, whereas you've got the Aviva on the south side, Croke Park on the north side, easily accessible for an awful lot of uh, people who want to watch rugby, soccer and GAA. OK, whitewater rafting
1: and big stadiums were some of the capital's uh, big things that never happened. But take me to Las Vegas in Two Mile, Boris.
0: Yeah, or Two Mile Vegas, as it became known when this first uh, Las Vegas style super casino was proposed. It was granted planning permission by North Tipperary County Council in 2010. It would cost about €460 million. And it was the idea of businessman Richard Quirk, who listeners may be familiar with, Dr. Quirk's uh, emporium on, on O'Connell Street. Um, the original plans included an all-weather race course, a greyhound track, an equestrian centre, a casino, a 500-bedroom hotel, and a golf course on an 800-acre development in North Tipperary. Um, the project would also be a car park, 6,000 spaces allocated for that, and a landing pad for helicopters. This is in 2010. This is just as the economy is going down the Swanee, the country's going down the Swanee, the Troika are in town this seemed to be a, a project from a bygone era or from the more recent boom time era at that, at that stage. Um, it was opposed by local residents and in the end it faced difficulty in the form of um, the then government's uh, proposed gambling legislation which would have restricted the sort of activities that uh, the proposers of this project would like to, to have at, at Two Mile Vegas or Two Mile Boris.
1: Just to put that in, in, in just just to stop for a second and think <laughs> about that, right? This is a small town village in Tipperary, a car park with 6,000 spaces. Just the scope of this was utterly massive. There was even a proposal for a replica of the White House uh, as part of the the overall complex. Um, And it became such a big deal um, that the Corrigan brothers recorded a song And a shop and a B and a population of ninety-three. There's talk in the village every day that Supermax could be on its way. Never mind, Las Vegas, don't take a trip. If you're gambling, just head down to Tip. Two mile bars is the place to go. To Michael Lowry's casino. Be bingo so Hugh at the very end there, listeners may have heard reference to Michael Lowry, the former Fine Gael long term on time independent T D who kind of became part of the legend of this Las Vegas story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Michael Larry was a, a key uh, advocate for this project. He uh, conducted interviews down on the site of the project with, with Primetime and with others, uh, extolling the virtues of it, saying it would be a great uh, idea for Tipperary. Michael Lowry is an enormously... Uh, popular figure down in Tipperary, as you say, a former Fine TD, former Fine Gael minister had to resign. Not, not
1: without his troubles, though. Not
0: without his troubles, had to resign as communications minister in 1997 uh, in, a, in a blaze of controversy that was subsequently the subject of a, the Moriarty Tribunal. Uh, and then he, but he, he went independent. He's been elected in every election since then, frequently tops the poll, and I think it's topped the poll in every election since then. Um, and but but it's not without his controversies, as you say, and and was in 2018 found guilty of tax offences. But but he's someone who's who's bullish and aggressive in his defence of his uh, his his reputation.
1: And even coming out of court after that conviction, he still was putting forward the message of a winner. I came into this building a free man, and I leave this building a free man but unfortunately for Michael Lowry and for some people in Tipperary although I think a lot of people would be glad it never came to pass they did not back a winner on the Las Vegas in Two Mile Boris it's not the only casino because uh, that was proposed in the 90s there was also a major push to rezone part of the old race course in the Phoenix Park with something along the same lines
0: we want to see a small number of casinos perhaps licensed by
1: government supervised, carefully controlled I was always against a casino. I wanted to see the hotels and the developments up there. It would have been great. Norman Turner and all the people involved knew that I d- didn't think the idea of, of a casino would ever wash.
0: Say no to sleazy slot machine.
1: Hugh, over the years, some of the most ambitious projects that never came to be were along the Liffey in Dublin. Tell me about some of those, starting with not the Lewis, but the Suez. <sighs>
0: Yeah, In 2006, the developer Barry Bowland wanted to build a cable car system that would run from Houston Station or the area around Houston Station uh, to the Dublin Docklands. It would be a tourist attraction along the li- River Liffey giving you I suppose uh, views from 80 metres up of, uh, of Dublin. Um, he set up a company, the Liffey Cable Car Company, to manage the project. Uh, the company submitted a proposal to build four steel towers along the river, two of which would have been 80 metres tall. The terrorists were to suspend cable cars in the air and run them along the length of the river. Um, the cost was estimated at £90 million, Um but a year later in 2007, on board Planola ruled against Mr Boland and the idea, although mentioned again in 2014, has, has fallen off the face of the They're earth.
1: Nearly fallen into the Liffey and washed, out, into the to the sea lithium washed out
0: to sea. Yeah,
1: It, it strikes me as a... Particularly peculiar one because I'm not sure. I mean, you'd see the four courts and the custom house, mm-hmm. and at the time the Docklands wasn't as developed as it is now. So I'm not exactly sure what you'd be paying a, for when you get that view. You'd along see the, the beautiful
0: River Liffey, cabin. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me then about one a, a more static one that. Never went anywhere either, but the ma- man in wire, I think it
0: was. Yeah, it. there seems to have been an obsession with building uh, grandiose projects like this uh, along the River Liffey during during the boom and and towards the end of the boom in two thousand and nine, and this is I suppose post. Post the bank guarantee and just before the the Troika bailout um, on board Planona granted permission for uh, the erection of a 46 metre sculpture of a human figure in the River Liffey. This would have been a steel lattice figure designed by the British sculptor Anthony Gormley Uh, Permission was originally sought by the Dublin Docklands Development Authority. Um, It would be almost the same height as the Statue of Liberty, so that's just to give the listeners the scale of what we were talking about here. It would be in the water at the City Quay area, 30 metres to the east of Sean O'Casey Bridge and 12 metres from the Quay Wall. Um, The Planning Authority said the sculpture was in keeping with the Dublin City Development Plan, which promotes public art and the exhibition of a sculpture in an open space. But the uh, Dotlands Development Authority scrapped the plan uh, for the steel structure due to costs. Uh, it had estimated uh, in 2008 that it would cost up to 1.6 million to build. Uh, 1.6 million said, seems
1: like a bargain in terms of some of the things we're talking about here. Well, it
0: does, yeah. But but they never went ahead.
1: It, it's all of this is making me wonder how we ever got to build the spire uh, at <laughs> all, um, and we all know that that didn't exactly go to plan either. Tell me about. Bono and U2. This was another one that was proposed for Riverside.
0: Yeah, and again the Dublin Docklands Development Authority involved here in the 90s, the late 90s they uh, set up to uh, the, the DD, DDDA was set up to regenerate many of the disused sites in, in the Dublin Docklands. Um, particularly those that were left idle near the mouth of of the River Liffey. And U2 became uh, involved in in one of these projects. Um, A deal was struck that would have allowed U2 to have the top floor, uh, the two top floors rather, of a new landmark tower, which would also bear the group's name, the U2 Tower. Um, After running a competition, there was more than 500 entries and a twisting design was selected for this tower. It was originally to be 78 metres tall. Uh, The plan was then revised so that the height could be increased to 138 metres. And
1: let's just listen to Bono explaining why he felt Dublin needed U2 Tower.
0: It was an extraordinary city, you know, way back when. And then through corruption and cronyism, the city was defaced and and vandalised.
1: But again, Hugh... Sadly, it didn't happen. Albeit the Docklands have been redeveloped over recent years, that massive tower never came to pass. I want to move quickly on to some slightly more strange uh, white elephants that have never come to pass. Chinatown in Atlone, for example.
0: Yeah. In 2012, the Athlone Business Park Limited announced a plan for the Europe China Trading Hub. The idea was to establish a centre for international trade between China and the rest of the world at a site just outside Athlone in County Westmead. So, it, really, in the, in the Midlands, the heart of, of the country. The centre was to provide a space for Chinese traders to sell their goods to European and international buyers with a view to generating major orders. This was going to be,
1: I remember this at the time because I'm from quite close yeah. to Athlone. This was, was going to be.
0: Four-storey uh, reception hall, nine trading halls, an underground car park with space for 1,300 cars and a wind turbine. It was expected to cost about £175 million to develop. Got the green light in 2011, and then the first phase would be completed by 2015. There's been no mention of it since then.
1: It, it's disappeared off the map that it never actually got onto. It is, sounds kind of similar to a more recent proposal for the people of Dundalk, but perhaps more precisely for the people of Hong Kong.
0: Yeah, but this is on a much bigger scale. Uh, in 2020, it emerged that a Hong Kong property tycoon wanted to build a city in Ireland uh, that would host 50,000 immigrants from from Hong Kong, a semi-autonomous uh, city. It's obviously got a, a strained relationship with China. Um, The proposal uh, was the brainchild of Ivan Coe, the founder of the Victoria Harbour Group and it would be called Nextpolis. It would be built from scratch and he even made representations to the Department of Foreign Affairs but they quickly poured cold water on the idea and and nothing has been heard of it since, even though uh, Ivan Coe told The Guardian at the time, we like Ireland but Ireland doesn't like it.
1: And finally, Hugh, I want to bring up one that we can't blame our own government for, we can't blame our own politicians for, but the Boris Bridge. About building a bridge from, from uh, Stranraer in Scotland to, 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 to Lawn in
0: Northern Ireland. They think that would be very good.
1: Now, we heard Boris Johnson there suggesting that this bridge from Northern Ireland to Scotland Hugh, would cost around 15 billion. Well, somebody went and did the maths, some of his own officials, and they came back in recent weeks suggesting. That to do the bridge, it would come in at three hundred and thirty-five billion pounds. So that's in around four hundred billion euro. Now, what we've talked about all through here, we talked about twenty billion for a white water rafting. Uh, we talked about nearly two million for a man in the in the water. Uh, I think you mentioned something like ninety million for the the Suez cable car. This is hundreds of billions. It was never going to happen. What was he thinking?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, th- this is the subject of some debate, particularly in the, the post-Brexit era. Um, and it was something that the, even Leo Varadkar said he was open to when he was Taoiseach, that as long as, as there was a proper cost-benefit analysis done, and clearly it has been done, and there's a, a, an extraordinary cost, and also they, they would want the, the British to pay for it. But the problem with this project was that the tunnel would have to be so long and deep that it could only accommodate trains for safety reasons. It would take 30 years for either of the links to open. So this is this is a project that would only come on stream long after Boris Johnson uh, was was in office. And there was a particular problem raised by engineers when Johnson proposed the link in 2019 originally. It's Beaufort's Dyke. It's a seabed trench of up to 300 metres deep and more than two miles wide at its broadest point. And it's filled with millions of tonnes of munitions dumped there in the 1970s. The tunnel would have to be constructed at depths of 400 metres below water level, exerting significant pressure pressure and requiring a 25-mile climb in either direction. Given a maximum rail gradient of 1 in 100. Just the scale of this is off the charts, unprecedented anywhere in the world, it was never going to work.
1: Well, um, I think we will see cable cars along the Liffey before we see the Boris Bridge uh, across the Irish Sea, but it all makes us somewhat grateful to have the Spire. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today's episode was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Tabitha Monahan, recording by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. Archived clips from RTE News, Sconnell RTE, Second Captains, and the Corrigan Brothers. You can listen to the Indo Daily wherever you get your podcasts.
0: When I got out to the Wicklow Mountains, when I came to the end of the line, I I felt this sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach.
1: I'm Nicola Tallent, and every week you can hear stories about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld on my podcast, Crime World. This was a stitch-up from start to end. I talk to those who get up close and personal with gangsters, mobsters, and notorious criminals. They have taught us every conceivable way of
0: disguising cocaine. Crime World is available wherever you get your podcasts.